The gospel reading for the morning is from the 20th chapter of Luke's gospel. Listen for God's word. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up the children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally the woman also died In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection." And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not through the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask Jesus another question. The word of the Lord. We're going to conclude our worship today in an act of giving. As we come forward to place offerings and our commitments, financial commitments for the coming year, and prayers for God's work into these baskets, we'll then gather in a circle and we'll pray to God for these gifts to be used, for us to be used, and for God to direct us in our work. What a strange countercultural activity is that? How would we explain this to a stranger who might just come in having never been in church before, never heard about God before? How do we explain that a God of abundant grace that leads a group of people to do an act of audacious, self giving, sacrificial love? When the movie Dead Men Walking came out several years ago, the actor and the director of the movie, Tim Robbins, was asked about the film's real-life heroine, Sister Helen Prejean, and Tim Robbins responded, I believe in, er, there are, er, there are people who are on earth who, uh, live highly enlightened lives and who, I guess, achieve Huh, a level of spirituality in connection with a uh, er, force of goodness. And because these people have uh, walked the earth, I believe that these people created God. One theologian reacted to this by saying, is Mr. Robbins dumb or just lazy? Having never taken the courage to dive deep into a relationship with God himself, apparently, he speaks about God with all the depth of those of us who took one art history course and then talk as if we're art experts. Going through school, I am pretty sure all of us heard the reassurance, there's no such thing as a dumb question. 
But if you're like me who've asked way more than my fair share of dumb questions in my life, we know that's not true. One professor on a final exam in astronomy asked his class, list three things that occur on Earth that do not occur on the moon. I think he was looking for some geological process. But a student who knew a dumb question when she heard it answered, list three things that occur on Earth and not on the moon. Roller skating, Bruce Springsteen, and the Republican Party. Those are three things that do not exist on the moon. Behind every question is the assumed world of the questioner. There's a legendary uh, story about a chemistry professor at Duke. Before the final chemistry exam one year, four of his students took a road trip from Durham, North Carolina, up to the University of Virginia for a party. They partied too long and too hard and were delayed coming back and missed the exam. They sheepishly appeared before the professor telling a sad story of woe that they had just concocted. They had plenty of time, they said, alas, but they had blown a tire on the way home and it was difficult to fix and the, flat, the, the spare was flat, so they were late in returning and they were so sorry. The professor was amazingly gracious and understanding and said, oh, I'll reschedule the exam for tomorrow. So the next day, the four students went in. The professor handed in the chemistry exam that had exactly one question. Which tire on the car was flat? <laughs> Today's Jesus critics are trying to trip him up with a series of tough questions meant to embarrass him. The questions, though, lack any dimension or scope or depth. Once when she was asked about the demise of the modern novel, Flannery O'Connor replied, people without hope not only don't write novels, but what is more to the point, they don't read them. They don't take long looks at anything because they lack the courage. The way to despair is to refuse to have any kind of experience of depth. Modern people don't take long looks at anything, says O'Connor. Not necessarily because we're lazy, but because we lack courage. One of the perils, I think, of our age is the flattening of experience, a reduction of what we are willing to entertain as a possibility for living. Too often, we encounter someone who's plunged into a season of deep grief. We've all encountered people and been those people from time to time. But when we're face-to-face -face with someone in grief, we are pulled so much to say something, to explain something, to rationalize something. We may not particularly like a world defined by either or choices of A or B multiple choice answers, but it's where we go when we are faced with either deep mystery or deep promise. In his book, Between Parent and Child, Haim Gannat told a story about Andy, who is a 10-year-old who one day asked his father, Dad, what are the number of abandoned children in Harlem? His father was a professor and intellectual. He was thrilled by the intellectual curiosity of his 10-year-old son. He gave a long lecture about the social problem and then looked up the exact answer to which Andy said, well, then what are the number of abandoned children in New York City? What are the number of abandoned children in the United States? 
in Europe, in the world, finally the father realized his son was not concerned about a social problem. He was concerned about whether he would be abandoned himself. He didn't need statistics. He needed reassurance. In every question is the assumed world of the questioner. Question and assumption dominate our text this morning. The 20th chapter of Luke's gospel contains a series of questions put to Jesus, each question trickier than the previous one. The final question is from the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees. As in all examinations, the ones asking the question are being tested as fully as the one who is being questioned. They ask Jesus, Suppose there is a woman who married a man with six brothers. The man dies, doesn't have any children. The law of Moses is clear. One of the brothers needs to marry her, have children to continue the brother's line. But he dies. All the brothers end up dying. Then the woman died. Eight funerals, no children. The question in the resurrection, who does she belong to? It's a trick question. A multiple choice form, Jesus can choose A or B. For A, Jesus has to choose a husband, one of the seven, but that doesn't work. She married them all. Or Jesus can choose B. That's what the Sadducees hope he will pick. With B, Jesus says, well, I've had a good run, but you've got me. Uh, she can't be the wife of one of them. She can't be the wife of all of them. So there must not be any resurrection. You and I have to be very careful about our assumed world. Convictions about what is just impossible. He'll never change. She's always been like that, always will be. Life doesn't get any better than this. There is not enough to go around. Look again at the assumption of the Sadducees' question they carry the assumption that if there is a resurrection, the woman has to belong to someone. A first century husband had property rights over a wife, and this woman had belonged to seven men in her life, so the only question is, which one does she belong to in the resurrection? Husto and Catherine Gonzalez point out, for all intents and purposes, this story could be about seven brothers who sequentially inherit a cow from one another. Rachel Wallenberg, in her book, Jesus According to a Woman, points out that by challenging the assumed world, Jesus' response to the trick question does what Jesus always does. Jesus always creates a new and gracious world for people who have been kept out. Jesus brings resurrection to the very people who need it most, who've been trapped in dull choices and dead-end options. Wahlberg writes, a woman hears Jesus declaring that she's not someone's property, that she has equal status in the resurrection. What freedom that at least in heaven, her status doesn't come through someone else. Faced with limited and limiting questions laden with assumptions, Jesus does not choose A. Jesus does not choose B. Jesus chooses C, but he really doesn't even choose C. Jesus doesn't pick a different answer. Jesus rewrites the test and the answers. That's what Jesus is always doing for us. Rather than taking a number two pencil and adding a bubble to the form, 
a slightly modified, expanded version of the same choices we've always lived with, Jesus doesn't choose C. Instead, he, he takes the bubble form and on it he writes Mahler's Resurrection Symphony, filling the page with notes to the glory of God. Instead of, of doing what was expected, he opts out of that multiple choice on that narrow, shallow form. And instead, Jesus paints a Georgia O'Keeffe sunrise in Abiquiu and says, you want to know what resurrection looks like? Look at this. Instead of A or B, or even see, Jesus takes an Ansel Adams photograph in Yosemite and says, to the glory of God. He rips into the harmonica riff, which opens Bruce Springsteen's The Promised Land. He offers Mary Oliver's poetry. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Jesus does not just create a slightly better chart. Jesus creates the body of Christ. That's his answer. Jesus challenges both question and questioner and offers our small, stingy, pinched worlds a massive dose of resurrection. You know, usually our questions about resurrection all have to do with us. You know, what's going to happen to us in the resurrection and how long will this take and when will it happen and will we be like we are now and will our present relationships continue and will we know each other and will I still have to wear glasses in the resurrection? Me, me, me. Us, us, us. But the resurrection is not about us. The resurrection is about God. Resurrection is about the faithfulness of God who will never, ever abandon God's creation. That's why Jesus answers the Sadducees like he does. Forget marriage. Marriage is of this world. Resurrection, it's a whole new world. In that new world, we will all be with our God, a God who has been known to breathe life into a valley of dry bones, a God who opens up graves and tombs, a God who gives away love prodigiously, a God who makes sharing the norm and abundance the expectation, a God who is the God of the living, not the dead, a God who makes all things, all things all things just and right at the end. We can't explain resurrection. Resurrection explains us. The resurrection explains how in the middle of all the suffering and pain of our lives and all the suffering and pain in this world, Kenya, Paris, Lebanon, just this week, Lord God Almighty, the resurrection explains in the face of all that how followers of Jesus can still worship and give and love and sacrifice and help and hope. 
So how do we explain to someone who knows nothing of this what we're about to do in this room in bringing gifts and commitments and prayers forward? Uh, Here's what I would say to anyone who looks on at a distance at this moment. We are practicing resurrection. Yes, we are collecting money that is essential to support and have this ministry thrive. Yes, by the commitments you make for the coming year, we can say to our mission partners in Austin and around the world, we stand with you and support you. Yes, these prayers offered to God are our dreams and our affirmations and our aspirations for who we should be and how God should direct us. And that's all important. It's all vitally important. But most important of all, by this act, we are practicing the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. That truth goes everywhere. That truth changes everything that we do. That truth reshapes our community. In the resurrection, what it'll be like, A or B? What's God's will for me today, this or that? The questions we ask about God turn out to be way too small and too narrow and too short-sighted. Will we raise enough money to fund the church budget that has been carefully vetted by all our committees? In such questions are all our pale assumptions, namely that our questions have answers that are formed simply out of what we know how to manage ourselves. The hard news is that God's world has never worked like that. The good news is God's world has never worked like that. The good news is that on the other side of all our questions, there aren't finely honed answers. On the other side of all our questions, there is God. God, who as a first act frees us from anything that traps us in a toxic world of dull, narrow assumptions. God, who brings us a future that is more wonderful and redemptive than we can ever imagine on our own. God, who takes whatever gifts we can offer and turns them into Easter. God, who makes all things new, all things in your life, in my life, in the world made new. Can we imagine a world like that? Can we imagine a God like that? Get ready. We're about to take actual steps to give, to commit, to pray. We're about to move this much closer to God's Easter world. Get ready.